All right, Bitcoin accumulation country, you know what time it is. I'm your host, Coin Icarus. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. We are sponsored by Crypto Cloaks 3D Printing. Check them out for all your 3D printing needs. And as well, we are also sponsored by Coinbeast. Book yourself a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro and take your game to the next level. That's right. You know, sometimes we get into Bitcoin. We'd like to be able to just sit down, speak with somebody who's already been here for a while that can kind of help us navigate. Definitely check out coinbeast.com. Check out their resources. All right. Anyways, we are going to dive right into it. I sat down with fellow Bitcoiner and lawyer Tufik Adluni. And we had a really interesting conversation about Bitcoin, and I learned a lot about uh, about Lebanon and the uh, you know the, essentially the banking industry over there. Anyways, without further ado, here is my chat with Tufik. All right, everyone, welcome to the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host Coin Icarus, and joining me today is fellow Bitcoiner and. Um, I, I would say the uh, the owner and uh, lawyer at Re- Renault Enco. Um, I am talking about Mr. Tufik Adluni. Tufik, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I really appreciate it, man. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So before we get into it, um, I, I know that uh, you're okay. So. Um, you offer uh, you offer uh, legal services through Coinbeast uh, to uh, to Bitcoiners, and you know for the people who don't know what Coinbeast is, it's a uh, it's essentially it's a Bitcoin uh, it's a Bitcoin resource uh, where you could essentially speak to uh, we'll say different experts in you know in varying fields, and um, you know you can get essentially consultations from them. Um, so, anyways, before we get into that piece, I always like to start off with the rabbit hole story. Um, so man, how did you, uh, how did you get into, you know, where were you before Bitcoin and how did you get into Bitcoin? So I guess, where was I before Bitcoin? You know, I was, uh, a, uh, student probably right before, and, uh, I was doing my undergrad in, in public policy and a minor in economics, uh, and, uh, in Ottawa, uh, which is the capital of Canada. And, uh, you know, I think Bitcoin appeared in my radar as an economics student. And I think I had brushed it off as a, as a, as a manner in which the dark web could transact, but that was kind of me, I think not really thinking for myself and just really uh, listening to the news at the time. And then fast forward, maybe six years. And um, the, the Ethereum ICO happened and I, uh, and I really began extreme. I started to become extremely curious about the powers of of Ethereum and what Ethereum could really do for you know for for humanity and 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 for for society. And then that's when I spilled over and relearned about Bitcoin. And this is where Bitcoin really actually started interesting me is because of my undergrad in economics. I was really able to understand what was the problem. Well, again, there was there was in the in Satoshi's white paper, right? There's kind of like two things that they're trying to solve. One was really the double spend problem. Yeah. But another thing that I was I was really intrigued about was just the economic 
solution that they were providing to kind of cons consistent devaluation of currency. And I understood why governments devalue their currency. I understand the position of it. I understand why inflation is, is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, again, um, it's kind of one of these things where you, you, you take a poll of economists and you take a poll of the general population. You know, I think the general population, 90%, you know, put inflation as a, with a negative connotation. All economists about the inverse, 90% put it at a, at a, at a good connotation. But again, inflation now, it seems like, and at that time as well, I was understanding it as we were going through massive kind of quantitative easing after the 2008 crisis. You know, I, I, the inflation as we understood it is kind of a way in which governments force you to spend money, right? It was that the money in your pocket is just devaluing at, at such a high rate. You just have to buy stuff with it. And it kind of fed into this whole consumeristic approach that I probably wasn't extremely a fan of. And I was trying to look at a potential asset class that gave you, uh, you know, a certain amount of liquidity, but also that was accruing in value over time. And I thought Bitcoin could have that, that solution, uh, let alone the fact that afterwards you can move kind of huge amounts of money in, in a blink of an eye. And that was, you know, that's kind of when I became a lawyer, when it really started to uh, dawn on me because I was dealing with banks all the time and, you know, they were slow as hell. But uh, <laughs> at the <laughs> and then I just had a particular disdain of working with banks because, well, you know, we can get into that rabbit hole for another time. But really, it was the, the, the economic utility of Bitcoin that I thought was extremely vital for just the way in which people can save and, 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 and keep, keep their wealth and, and guard their wealth effectively. So. No, I thought it was uh, it was uh, fascinating. Um, no, I, I definitely want to dive into uh, because a hundred percent fuck banks. So uh, <laughs> like, don't don't get me wrong, but to me they they offer very poor service and um, they they just they they gouge us. They gouge us for a very poor service, and I I honestly ever since I was a kid I always felt like my money was a prisoner. So so tell me, give me. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the on the banking system? What's wrong with it? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Two hours later, let's see how we can <laughs> how we can get through this. Uh, I, I think I think I think maybe the biggest problem with the banking system it is it's built on legacy rails and legacy um, kind of inter banking systems, which make it. Uh, very hard to innovate and change as it's kind of been um, 70s technology and 70s back-end procedures that's continuously been slapped with a little bit of paint and maybe a band-aid here and there and they continue to operate and it creates right a very almost clunky method of operation and these guys have no real incentive to change the way in which um, 
they operate. On top of which, banks are uh, in the West, right? We've kind of developed um, this relationship where banks have, you know, what's called the moral hazard, where you know where they're always going to be bailed out by the Federal Reserve as the lender of last resort, so that banks can be doing, you know, ex- have an extremely leveraged balance sheet, which is what they've done, you know before uh before the economic crisis and even after the basel meetings i don't know if your audience knows what those are but those are essentially kind of like international economic reforms that try to reform the banking systems no i think that they've only increased the leverage you know the 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 the, the in cash ratio in banks up to three percent so they can essentially leverage 97 percent of their assets holy shit so leverage banking leverage banking is is i would say like a a necessary part of our of our of our economic uh reality like i don't think we can run away from leverage banking no it was its stories is, is extremely interesting but it is essentially a wealth creator but i think that the manner in which it's been going about especially with this moral hazard question you are you are really uh creating you know high high risk actors in 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 banks because they're just you know worst case scenario they're just going to get bailed out by the feds and and they're just going to get this kind of this 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 access to this money supply that no one else has access to it it it, it is a weird relationship with our, our you know there's this book that i I listened to a podcast about, I haven't read it, but it's called, uh, it's on my list. It's called Layered Money. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of it, but Um, I have not read it yet. So I haven't read it either, but so I'm not going to do a lot of justice, but it sounded fascinating when I heard the guy on, uh, on uh, the TIP podcast, the BTC, uh, the investors podcast. I don't know if you listen to that. Podcast. I don't know if I should be, uh, oh, yeah, you know, no, pumping up other people. That's okay. No, it's all good, man. <laughs> yeah so uh you know he talked about it and essentially a big part of his argument was this this the, the method in which money gets to us has to go through a variety of different layers right and these layers have a variety of different kind of gatekeepers where where money supply and money demand is is so unequal that it actually you know, it actually creates like this this huge kind of uh, disequilibrium in the market, and that's actually to the favor of the banks. Yes. On 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 a non-Western note, I would say, coming from uh, you know my my country of origin is 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 Lebanon, and coming from Lebanon, you will see actually a a, a potential microcosm of what can happen in in kind of international what can happen in many countries down the line and it it could even possibly it's tough to happen in the united states as long as the demand for the greenback exists on the international scale right because the demand in the greenback is what creates this kind of position that the u.s can just continuously gain debt because everyone will always have a necessity to buy their bonds because to buy their bonds you get access to greenbacks and access to greenbacks is where this kind of disequilibrium of supply and demand for currency exists and 
in Lebanon, it's one of the most indebted countries, GDP per capita in the world. The, however, it's not sovereign debt, it's internal debt. But what happens is, is that the government has continuously rolled its debts year after year so that it would never really have to pay them. But there was a moment where its internal lenders stopped having the capacity to lend. And then they essentially tapped out their banks. And then they had to go through something where they would actually have to start printing money. And what they did was, is that they started printing the, the, the Lebanese pound, which is the, the, uh, the, the, the local currency, which is supposed to be pegged to the US dollar. However, they didn't tell anyone about this. And they have continuously stated that the Lebanese dollar is pegged uh, to the US to the US dollar. Uh, sorry, the Lebanese pound was pegged to the US dollar, which it's not. And it's created a, a couple of things. It's created a, a situation of, of high inflation. I don't know if it gets up to hyperinflation, but it's quite high. And another thing is that the banks are now actually stopping you know, users from accessing their money. And we're seeing a lot of sad stories of folks who've saved and, uh, and, and have not been able to access their money. Their USD, USD is now completely a scarce resources. And if you have USD, you hoard it and no, the banks won't even give it out. And um, you know, you're just getting these really sad, sad stories. Like, you know, I heard a story from, um, from, uh, from back home where, you know, a guy in Lebanon, smart guy, uh, saved up for, for seven to eight years of his own money to pay for his MBA at Stanford. And he got into Stanford and he goes to the bank, not to get a loan or a line of credit. He just goes to wire his own hard earned cash to Stanford to go to university. And the bank's just like, no, <laughs> that, that's insane. The bank was like, no, <laughs> because they don't have it. They don't have it. And, you know, my mom was telling me this other story. We're trying to sell our, 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 our country house and, you know, bad time to sell in Lebanon. And my mom was telling me like, uh, my mom was telling me the family came up, the family came up to her and was like, oh yeah, we'll buy your house. We have the money. It's just in this bank account. And then my mom was like, don't push your problems onto me. Like, like, you, like, yeah, you have the money. It's in the bank account, but like, I can't get access to that money. So, you know, this is where, this is where I think Bitcoin comes in. It, it comes in on a variety of fronts here. And, you know, it comes in a, for these, for the saver to have confidence in the ability, their ability to save B it comes in, in a way to transact money without having to go through a party which again can potentially be you know is self-interested and will act in their own interest you know if push comes to shove and people may say well this may not happen in the west well you know we we are having the situation where we have high inflationary pressures through kind of uh quantitative easing but we also have deflationary pressures through the accumulation of debt. And we, don't, we just don't understand what's gonna happen in the future with these two you know, seemingly counter current um, 
uh, you know, forces continue to act in that certain way. And we're looking at potential situations that resemble maybe Japan in the nineties. And, and, and it is, and it is not a good economic situation for anybody. And it's, we're essentially in the unknown abyss. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. So I, uh, and just for the, for the people that uh, don't know what happened in Japan in the nineties, are, are we talking about the stagflation, like the lost decade? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and what was it exactly that, that happened in Japan? Like it was the, um, uh, what is it? It's like the, the wages didn't go up either. And even I think like prices started to drop. I, I don't recall exactly what I had, what was happening back then. I was still a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I uh, I was uh, I was actually uh, of uh, um, of a certain age to remember either. But it's definitely something that we took uh, we took in in our economics courses. But uh, yeah, it's essentially where we there was a a, a a a economic stagnation caused by like an an asset price bubble collapse, yeah. that, right? And and what essentially happened is that you had uh, kind of this weird uh, 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 kind of experience where the bubble burst. You had uh, you had kind of uh, no growth and uh, and with inflation. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a kind I, of uh, sorry. You you were remembering something? Yeah, I was gonna say I, I do recall. I think they printed like they they, they tried they, they printed way too much. Like there was there, there was all these market forces that came together, like you explained, and it just made it so that like nothing could move. Like they were just completely stuck, and they were like being bogged down. Right. It's well, because economically. They just, yeah, because essentially, you know, I think. I think what happened is that there was a there was there was a, a liquidity trap, right? And what a liquidity trap is is where monetary policy monetary policy is already low enough is already so low that it can't go any lower, and you can't essentially insert more liquidity into the market, right? And this is where it's kind of scary for us is that we we've essentially gone into a situation where we've we we went potentially into very close to zero interest rates after the 2008 crisis we then did a maybe like probably a couple of quarters of quantitative tightening right maybe right between right like i forget exactly the dates in which we happened but we we did start the quantitative tightening slightly and next thing you know we we had covid and we're back down to to almost zero again. And we can even go down to kind of negative interest rates depending on how kind of the economic um, uh, environment works. But yeah, essentially it's a liquidity trap and, it, and a liquidity trap is that, you know, essentially the rate of interest has fallen to a certain level and like there, there, is, there is really no liquidity and preferring to hold cash is better than holding debt, right? And so you 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 enter into this place where no one's borrowing, and I mean no one's lending, and no one's borrowing, and the economy just gets totally sucked up, and that happened. That happened after COVID, right? There was there was huge 
um, there was also a liquidity crisis going right after COVID. And this just shows how fragile the international economy is, right? Like it's, 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 it's really, it's really just the, the ripple effect can only be as bad as this is that, you know, you have the commercial real estate uh, tenants, right? Who no longer can meet their rent because everything is closed and they can't meet their rent. They start defaulting on their rents. And as they default on their rents, you have, uh, you have then the commercial property holders start defaulting on their mortgages. And then you have that, and you have the defaulting on the mortgages. Then you have the banks in a squeeze because they're already leveraged up the yin yang. And then they have to, <laughs> they have to go to the feds to get bailed out. And you have, again, this, this huge ripple effect that goes on, but this is why, you know, the U S government and the King government just shot money right into the, into the, uh, into the pockets of the tenants, or at least were able to give, allow them to roll, roll their debts and for them to roll their, their, their leases and for them to actually get covered. Because if not, just that effect alone would cause a massive economic ripple effect in the, in the economy, um, which is crazy to think about, but yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I really never thought I would see the day where the government was handing out checks, you know, no, I'm not talking about people on welfare or unemployment or something like that disabled. I'm talking about our disability. I, I mean, just, you know, us working people are just getting extra money from the government. I never thought I would see that. And th this is like, I, I know that we are in a bad place when this is happening, you know? Well, yeah. And it's, again, it's part of this, uh, it's part of this liquidity crisis, I think. And I think it's also part of the fact that it, it seems like we've made recessions like illegal. Like we're not allowed to have a recession. Well, that's it's... right. You have to save the, you have to save the economy. You're right. And, 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 and you're just not allowed to have a boom and a bust. And it's, and it's weird. You know, we, you know, we've been taught again that there's a business cycle, there's periods of growth, there's periods of recession, and there's periods where, you know, prices, you know, overgrow value. And there's other periods where value uh, is, is, is where you kind of get, um, you know, where you, where you can kind of get your, your bang for your buck or where value starts, you know, re reemerging is during a recession. And this is just a natural business cycle, but now we're kind of stating that, well, that natural business cycle isn't acceptable because we can't live through another recession. It's just too bad. And, and therefore, we don't know what's going to happen, but it seems like we might start seeing just like these one or two day, like shock recessions where the markets just drop like insane amounts of points and then have it just completely bounce back and go on. I, I don't know. This is again, above my pay grade, but uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just fascinating to watch. However, well, let me, and, and don't get me wrong. This is all above my pay grade, I, but it's all good. We're, we're having, you know, we're shooting the shit, you know, but, but let me ask you this, right? Like, so, I, you know, based on what you just explained, which I, I totally agree with, right. With, with what's happening, like we're not allowed to have these recessions. We're not allowed to have these booms and busts. We can't afford to have these problems. Okay. Because we're just so completely leveraged, or at least that's the way I see it. Um, so doesn't this naturally cause the bubbles to get bigger and more dangerous? Like, 
doesn't this make it so that, like, we can't not have these insane bubbles that are going to get larger and larger? Because we're not letting them pop, right? We're not letting the economy naturally sort itself out. So I, I feel yeah. like, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like this patient that, that like is constantly being filled up with more and more blood. And like every single time there's like a, you know, like, like a pop, we go and we put a bandaid on it and the skin keeps getting thinner, you know? It, it very well may be. I don't know, but it, it definitely seems like we're, there is a bit of a growth addiction and I could understand why. And, you know, you just have to look at, you know, the stock markets these days. You know, the, 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 the feds are, in an essence, through their, 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 they're now buying equities, right? They are, they are overly inflating the stock market. Yes. And, and, and you have not only through kind of the traditional methods of, 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 of uh, that they're, they're now dealing with equities, but you also have kind of the non-traditional methods where you have, you know, a lot of these, these, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, the wall street betters or, or, or whatever you want to call them. I don't know how big of their role is, but you know, they're taking their $2,000 checks and, Oh, they're not doing anything, so they're going on Robinhood and they're investing in, 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 in a bunch of stuff. And again, this is one thing that worries me about Bitcoin. But I think Bitcoin has the the necessities to 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 outlive a kind of inflationary bubble built off of kind of uh, you know an expansive fiscal policy of the government. I don't think I don't think other kind of stocks have that. You know that intrinsic ability to kind of uh, to kind of withstand withstand a certain pop that may happen, but um, but yeah, I'm curious to see. I don't know. It's uh, I think I think you I think you have a good point, but it's going to be really a really interesting couple of years after uh, after this. No, I totally agree, man. I, I completely agree. It's uh, it, it's going to be. Um, I, I think we're in unprecedented times, um, but because we have an asset like Bitcoin, um, you know, which again the world has never had before, so I, I think that um, I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised to the upside of Bitcoin. Right? We always joke around that the models are destroyed, but to the upside. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it. We're definitely in for a ride, man. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, talked about the rabbit hole story, got into some serious stuff about banking, which was very interesting. Uh, and I wrote down the uh, the book that you mentioned, uh, Layered Money. And um, here, let me look up uh, who the. Uh, it's a uh, Nick Batia. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he was on that podcast, and I thought, you know, that that podcast with uh, with uh, Preston Pish oh, is yeah. is just like some of the most quality. Uh, Bitcoin podcasting that I've heard anywhere on the internet, and he's just you know his his interview with Michael Michael Saylor there. I don't know if you listened to it, but uh, wow, like I really recommend everyone to listen to it and listen to to this one as well with layered money. <laughs> yeah, no, they he, it, call, he calls it a he calls it a Bitcoin masterclass, and I really think it is. It really gets gets you into uh, Michael Saylor's mind and. Just the way he thinks is extremely interesting. 
Yes, I totally agree. There's there's two Michael Saylor podcasts that I, I recommend to everyone, and the the Preston Pish one is one of them, and the other one is um, the one with that he did with John Vallis, uh, because because John is like more of like a cosmic philosophical type, so he took like a different approach to chatting with Michael Saylor, which was really cool. So nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll take I'll take a look. I didn't I haven't listened to that one, so I'll take a look at it there. Yeah. Very cool. So. Okay, so like fast forward, right? Like uh, here we are. Okay, it's twenty twenty one. You you're you're providing. Um, if I understood this correctly, you're providing consultation services uh, through Coinbeast. Why don't you tell the listeners exactly like what is it exactly uh, that that you're offering through Coinbeast? Right. Or Coinbeast Media. Uh, yeah. I so I maybe I should back up and kind of tell you tell the viewers or the listeners, sorry, what really the um, what really Coinbeast is, and I think Coinbeast is, again, a group of people who fundamentally believe in Bitcoin, fundamentally believe in its value proposition and its ability to change and affect people's lives. And for us to allow people who want to enter into the space in, in, in however form they wish to enter, to be able to seek uh, kind of professional consultation and advice uh, that will that will allow their 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 journey into the world of Bitcoin to be as 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 seamless and easy uh, as as possible. So, what essentially it does is not only is it a lot of articles and 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 whatnot about about uh, uh, you know buying Bitcoin, storing Bitcoin, mining Bitcoin, building companies with Bitcoin. Uh, how Bitcoin is taxed, etc. But it's also kind of an ability for us to 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 hold uh, your hand and 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 make sure that while you're going about this journey, that you're doing it in the best way possible. And it's really like you know some of the most highest quality advice uh, that you can get. You know, I think out there on the on the internet. Uh, my role is coming in it from a legal perspective, as I've been a lawyer um, practicing in the world of, of blockchain and crypto for several years. And, and, and you know, I could ass essentially assist with a lot of the questions you may have about the legalities of maybe owning Bitcoin, of paying customers with Bitcoin or paying for services with Bitcoin, how Bitcoin is, uh, is potentially taxed, how you can you know manage wealth from a legal perspective uh uh with bitcoin um these are kind of the services that we see being offered at least on my end through the website but there's a lot of other guys out there that are you know extremely talented as well you know we have security and risk management and hardware guys we'll make sure that your bitcoin is safe and secure I think one thing about Bitcoin that's kind of off-putting to some people is that there is no, there is no, you know, there is no reset button. There is no undo button with Bitcoin. So, with that in mind, uh, folks really, uh, really sometimes get turned off by that. But again, it's not as scary as it seems. 
uh, and I'm sure everyone already on your podcast is pretty much a diehard listener, so I'm sure they're all with me there. But uh, <laughs> but if you are, you know, let's say you are, uh, you know, let's say you are a Bitcoin or you've invested, you've, you know, you, you have a, a decent amount of sum, but you're looking to move kind of your Bitcoin off your hot wallet or onto a, you know, onto a Trezor or onto maybe, you know, a, a, a hard uh, a, a, a cold wallet uh, somewhere uh, that you find is more secure, or maybe you don't know if that's more secure and you're asking what's more secure. Am I at that level of kind of um, of Bitcoin holdings that, you know, merits kind of an added level of security and, and risk management? And how can you can build that out yourself? So that's really where um, I think a lot of the experts would come into play. And uh, yeah, I come in on the legal side. I like that, man. That's a great description. You know, um, when I when I first uh, when I first spoke to uh, to Jonathan, um, uh, you know, when he approached me about Coinbeast, I, I thought that it was a you know, it's a really great idea because that is something I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Right. Like there's some people they're going to be perfectly fine with digging on their own and just kind of fumbling around in the darkness. Right. And, th and that's okay to like, to, you know, to each their own. But then there's some people that genuinely want to go to a place where, you know, it's like, you know, here's a Bitcoiner that understands this particular aspect, right, of, let's say, you know, business or corporations or, or whatnot. And they can offer you, you know, they can offer you a consultation service. And, and, and I really, I really do like that. Like, I actually think that that is going to be, I think that that's going to be helpful, especially for noobs going forward, Right. Because some people do want to make an in informed decision on their own. They don't want to have a trusted third party, but they just want to speak to somebody so that they could at least bounce ideas off of and figure out if they're on the right track or not. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the quality of the professionals is really, really high. Like, uh, like you know, we're not just getting you a guy who set up, you know, a treasure wallet once, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, we're getting guys <laughs> who've, who've essentially set up, you know, some of the most insane cold storage systems uh you know even you know you could probably call it glacier storage systems uh in the world uh so <laughs> so you know we're, we're you know we got some of the some of the biggest thought leaders at least um you know that i know of people who are consistently in consultation with the regulator uh, that are on there. So it's the quality is really, really there. And I, and I even say that it's not even for noobs because it's even for maybe just regular old Bitcoiners that have been in the space in the wall, but are really interested in just leveling up, right? Get leveling up on their knowledge, leveling up on their security, leveling up on how they manage it from a legal or, 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 or a tax or accounting side, right? It, it because because you know getting into it you know it can be just as easy as you know get a you know get a get a coinbase account buy a bunch of bitcoin it's 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 fairly i think it's fairly easy to get right into there but how do you get to the next level how do you take that how do you take all your money that you got on coinbase and you put it on your treasure wallet you know how do you actually then account for that from a tax from a tax side with uh you know, with your tax authorities, or, you know, how do you then uh, are able to build kind of other things on top of the Bitcoin ecosystem, uh, which you can, 
and it's pretty interesting for, for the entrepreneurs out there. So there is a lot of, uh, I would say, strong advice that can be given through the platform. I like that. You guys have some really good variety. I, I was taking a look at the uh, the site and I saw that uh, like for mining and stuff like that, you've got Denver Bitcoin. Uh, so he's been on yeah. this po- he's been on this podcast before. Uh, I speak to him pretty I- I'd say like fairly regularly, you know, on Twitter and stuff. And yeah, man, he is a fantastic resource uh, when it comes to mining and just really like when he speaks about it, you you totally get the the passion. You know, like you could feel the passion out of his voice the same way that like I feel it with you when you're talking about the services, like the the law services uh, that you offer. So, man, this is really cool stuff. Yeah, like like I think for us, like we're in the space because we believe we believe fundamentally in the change that kind of uh, Bitcoin can offer. And and we're 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 committed to being kind of like a small cog in in that in that change right that's that's really where you know we i think all come from and we come from this real real position of 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 helping others so i think um i think with that in mind yeah it's it's hard not to be passionate about it man you you guys i I really think that you guys are adding some some big value and it's gonna it's gonna start to reflect you know so Thanks. Great idea. Yeah, man. Great idea. So, so look, we're going to, um, you know, we're, we're going to wrap up the show, but before we wrap it up, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts that you want to leave for the listeners? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if I have any other final thoughts. I just think that, um, for guys, for guys out there, it's, 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 it's important. I think one thing that I heard is it's important to really kind of put ourselves in, 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 in a, in a grouping of, of, a, of a form of a movement, really. And I think, and I, think I, I, I heard this before, and I really do believe in it as well, is that, you know, it, it is, Bitcoin is more than just, a, 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 you know, a manner in which you can solve the double spend problem. It is really at this moment so much more, it is a movement for us to kind of reclaim our uh, financial independence from, I would say, um, banks and 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 for a lesser extent maybe central governments to allow ourselves to have that independence with an asset that is not coupled with uh with a a a government currency and for us to really um kind of position ourselves in this movement where we kind of allow for the reinvention of money to occur and for it to occur you know around uh, around Bitcoin, and I think that we'll look back at, at these moments, hopefully, in in decades, in the decades following, and we'll say, well, you know, I'm happy that I played my small role. You know, you with your podcast, us with CoinBeast, you know, myself as a lawyer helping kind of companies navigate the space, and and all of us and everyone who's listening playing their small role in kind of making this adoption adoption happen i think uh i think it's really exciting but i I definitely want to frame it in everyone's mind that we are we are part of a movement and and i think there is something kind of bigger than us happening and and it's exciting to be uh to be a part of it tufik man that's absolutely beautiful um i'm gonna put a link to your your website and your contact uh your twitter contact details in the show notes um, man, I really appreciate having you on, man. Thank you so much for joining me and having this chat. 
Thank you. Really appreciate your time. And yeah, appreciate you for uh, giving me the opportunity to come on the show today. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Tufik. Uh, his contact details will be in the show notes. And of course, if you want to reach me, Twitter or Telegram, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time. <laughs>